Well, again, I say good morning to the church. Good morning. And uh, it's robust, right? Good to uh, to see everybody, and uh, glad to hear that it functioned real good last week, which I knew it will. It's, so this is the Lord's church, and it certainly is not mine. And uh, I am thankful to the Lord that we have somebody like Eldon that can come right in and step in and give a message and uh, give it very well. And so we're thankful for that. We've been blessed with that. And at the same time, I'll, uh, the band doing what they did and everybody coming in and doing all their parts, and it just goes right smoothly. It's the Lord's deal, isn't it? Anyway, we are uh, getting ready to start uh, Exodus 3 today is where we are at. And this one is called The Deliverer's Call. I guess if we had a series going here, we could call it The Deliverer Series. Uh, the series acts, I guess, is uh, the Exodus series, what have you. By the way, if um, you want to listen on Internet, um, you can. You can listen to it uh, there. Uh, or now, it is set up as of this week. I just found out last night that you can... Uh, Put it uh, as an MP3. You can download it and put it in your MP3 players and take it along with you. Uh, take it along with you on your way to work or whatever and, and uh, kind of digest the message. Uh, sometimes what you hear here, you don't catch it all. And so now it gives you an opportunity to hear it again. And uh, matter of fact, it gives you an opportunity to pick it apart and say, Hey, Dennis, what, what was it about this right here? What are you saying? <laughs> but uh, maybe we can get that spread out to uh, a lot of other places. Now it's... Uh, uh, up uh, in, in Michigan, some of them know about that now. We'll get that known, and uh, so this can this can go worldwide. We want the message to go out, and if that's uh, what the Lord has in mind, that's great. Anyway, uh, my question is: is what is the most important thing that God has done to mankind? What He has done is reveal Himself. He has revealed His glory. And my question would be, what would happen if the great creator of this universe, of everything, would not have revealed himself to his creation, to us? What would have happened if he said, okay, I'm going to create them and that's it. I'm never going to tell them who I am. It would be a lost world, wouldn't it? How would we ever know the Savior? And that's what the whole book is about, the the book, the Bible. And it starts in Genesis, gets us a little glimpse, quite a glimpse actually. You could get salvation right in the book of Genesis. As we open it up a little bit further, we see in Exodus that God expands on revealing Himself. It's about revelation, not the book of Revelation, revelation in revealing Himself to, uh, to us. And I want you to know, that's an incredible thing, because the angels have been revealed uh, it's to them that they have known who God is and to mankind, to His chosen ones that know who He is. And I think that's rather incredible that we can sit here today and say, I know who God is. I know Him. I know Him personally. Go up to the throne room, right? So He chose to do that and to take His awesome glory and put it on display, not in its fullest sense, in the time present, but there sure is a lot of glory to be seen. As it says in um, Romans chapter 1, uh, all mankind in, in the general sense has seen the glory of God in His creation. He's manifested that. 
And then through His Word, we get more of who He is. So the book of Exodus is where He is going to present more of His attributes in a bigger way than He has done before. Moses is going to be the one that God is going to reveal Himself to in a way that mankind hasn't since the fall anyway. I would have liked to have seen God the way that Adam and Eve saw Him before the fall. With, uh, in the sense that they were, with the brains and the mind that they had and the intelligence and the uh, ongoing conversation they had with him. Now, in this third chapter, Moses is going to reveal, or going to be revealed, the presence of God in somewhat of a veiled way, but yet he's going to see something of God that he's never seen. And it is going to be supernatural. Moses has been humbled in the desert for 40 years after he had been 40 years in the palace. And God, after all the time that he had, he had been revealing himself to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, extending on that covenant, now comes in, breaks the silence that was there, and now gives his word to Moses. And Moses is going to be the one that gives us the Pentateuch that we read today, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God is going to show the backside of his glory to him. Moses is revealed so much. And now God is breaking out of his silence. Moses' life is going to be changed forever as he sees God in a clearer way. God wants to deliver His people that He had already covenanted to and had spoken to through different ways, through different men. And the time was now. It's time to pull the people out of Egypt, deliver them out of that bondage into a redemption land. He wants to get them out of the situation that they're in. And first, He's going to have to do something to Moses. He's going to have to have Moses realize the holiness of God. The transcendent majesty of God. His excellencies. His beauty. He's going to have to see that the otherness of God is the most important thing he has to see before he does anything. If we want to live a life that glorifies God and we want to witness the truth, if we don't recognize His holiness, none of those other things that we do are going to matter. If we see His holiness and we see how serious He is, we can't cover up anymore. We have to be revealed by the fire of God how great He is. And so that's what's going to happen. That's how Moses is going to change drastically. God then reveals his plan of deliverance. He has broken Moses. Then he shows him his glory. Isn't that the way it works? He breaks us. Breaks us down. And he went as far as he could go. Being that shepherd out there in the desert. 80 years old. And God actually speaks to him. Moses was called by God to bring forth his plan and God had been equipping him 40 years. He had no idea he was being equipped, did he? Out there in the desert of Midian, 
You know, sometimes it can it can seem like a long time before God even seems to speak to us. And I mean in uh, in a way that maybe we might be going through what might be a long valley. Or who knows what we're going through? And it seems like God is silent. He's never silent. His word is open right here. The truth is here. That's where we go to seek Him. Moses didn't have that really word to go to like that we have today. He had a spoken word of God, and of course he uh, wrote that down. We know that he had the covenant promise. He, he knew about that covenant promise that goes back to Abraham. And God will remind him of that. But it's not until he is 80 years old that it's made known to him that he's to deliver the people out. You think about 80 years old, most people are dying by that age. And many people during this time period did live up to 100 and 120 or so. And we know that Moses' father-in-law is older than him. So, uh, and he's living for quite some time. Uh, so anyway, he's to make known to the people that God is the faithful deliverer. You ready to look at this faithful deliverer here? The deliverer is called... That's the title. Here we go. Starting at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. First of all, we see he's tending the flock. Now Moses was tending the flock. It's the flock of his father-in-law. He's doing it. For him, in that family. Of all things, the prince is a shepherd. Visualize that. For decades. Now, this would seem to be a rather poor job, a rather poor employment for a man of his education and the opportunities that he had and all the great background that he had. And it seems that he's rather content at what he's doing. I think he's definitely been broken. What do you think? We all have to be broken. To be useful for the Lord, we all have to be broken. To recognize the brokenness. I think that's the idea, isn't it? Have you been broken? Have you been broken of all the things in your life that uh, just uh, keep the glory of the Lord from shining? If you're not, uh, shame on you. (laughs) But the thing is, you'll continue to be broken. Right? He wants to continue to break those things toeholds, those footholds off of you. That's what he's doing with Moses. Moses wasn't ready 40 years ago. He's a murderer. And he was ready to do it in his own will. So he's a shepherd, and I think it's very fitting because he will later shepherd the people. From shepherding sheep to shepherding people. Go to Exodus 7-7. This is easy. Same book. Exodus 7-7. And Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron, 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. 80 years old. Think about that. You know 80-year-old people. You know, you know those guys. How can they do these things? Well, God's going to equip him. He's a shepherd. And if you want to see something about shepherds, you know, you, you think of, of course, Moses being a shepherd. How about one of the greatest kings? Or the greatest king? David. What had he been? He had been a shepherd. Boy, did God break him. Shepherd boy, but he stayed out there. He was on the run out there out in the uh, the desert much of the time and then also shepherding sheep. And then in Luke 2.8, you have some shepherds out in the field. Some angels come. 
to these shepherds of all people? Why didn't uh, the angels come to the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders, the priests? Why didn't the shepherd, uh, the uh, uh, the angels come to them? But who do they first come to? Luke 2 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold, check this out, you won't believe this, behold this, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. He talks about a Savior being born. Shepherds. Again, God uses that illustration a lot. And that was a lowly job to be out there doing that. Okay, well, would you say that he has a very humble employment? That he's a busy man as God comes to him. Because it shows right here he's tending the flock. And whenever God has called his people... The people are busy doing the job that they are. They go about doing what they are supposed to be doing. They're going about their regular business. In Judges 6, you have Gideon. And when God comes to him, he was threshing grain. God gives him a different job for a little bit. And then in 1 Samuel 3, you have Samuel, a little boy there, and he's serving in the tabernacle. And God does that to him. He calls him while he is busy doing what he's doing. He was actually had been sleeping, hadn't he? But yet he would have been busy in the tabernacle. That was what his job was. We think of David. He was caring for his sheep in 1 Samuel 17, 20. Elisha, the great prophet, was out plowing. God comes to him, speaks to him. We're talking about the very voice of God. I'm not kidding you. This is one of those supernatural things that doesn't happen today. If you go around saying, well, God spoke to me last night, and you start saying audibly, I'm going to be a little bit uh, questioning on that because God has revealed Himself through the Word. That's how He's spoken today through Christ, through the Word of God. Uh, He can do that. I won't say He can't. Uh, That's certainly not the norm. I really don't think that's always uh, the case, right? Like they did at that time. Um, disciples, how about them? What were they doing? Uh, many of them were fishermen. And uh, whenever he made calls to them, um, they were fishermen. How about uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector? He was busy doing the, the work that he did. And that meant that, that was their livelihood. They were just to drop everything and follow him when he made that call. I mean, whatever it is that God calls you to do, then you'd be ready to do it. I don't care what you're holding on to and how important it is. If He tells you, okay, now, you do this. You don't do this. Hey, if you know that to be true, what do you do? You drop it. And you move. Right? I'm telling you, this is a serious God because we're going to see in a couple of verses here that He is very serious about this. And that's what happens to to Moses here. This is what this is all leading up to as we get into a very important key verse. Okay, all the time that Moses is doing his job, next point, there's obscurity, right? Nobody knows who he is. I mean, he's he's a shepherd. The Midianites, he's a shepherd. I don't know, he came from Egypt somewhere. You know, he's an Egyptian or whatever, you know. They don't know, we don't know too much about him. I mean, other than he's doing the shepherd thing, and that's not too much famous notoriety, right? (laughs) 
It wasn't a real famous one at that time where he had been before, but he was even driven further into the desert. Because it says in verse 1, he led the flock to the back of the desert. How many times have you heard Moses went to the back side of the desert? Well, there it is. Right there. The back of the desert. I mean, that's away from the front of the desert. Right? When you have a front room, you have a back room back there. It's not the most showiest, right? Uh, but anyway, very obscure is where um, we're driving to here. And God finally speaks to him in this place. He had taken his sheep to the far western side of the land where the Midianites lived. And to be a little bit more precise, it's somewhere in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. Now are you catching it? If you look on your maps in the back of the book, if you have those, back of the Bible. Anyway, he's somewhere in in, uh, Sinai. And this is the area where God gave the Ten Commandments, which will be in the future, as far as Moses is concerned. Not too long from there, he's going to see this area again. When they go out of the desert, it's not a strange place to Moses. He uh, can see where God is leading. And he had been at this place because God met him here. I'm sure every time that he thought about this area, he thought about what's coming up next. The burning bush. So we go to verse 2, verse 3. So now we've seen a little bit about Moses. Where God has led him to now. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Okay. You know, we've all heard the little little Bible stories, those little kids, and well and true that might have been, but I want you to really think about this. You're out there with a the sheep, and it's you. There's nobody else around. There's nothing else happening. And you're out in God's great creation. And all of a sudden, you see this bush, and it's burning. And, you know, you don't pay too much. And you look over there again, and did I just see what I thought I saw, and it's not burning up. It's continuing to burn. Do you think that got his attention? Well, what comes on the scene right off the bat? Verse 2, if we're doing this expositorily, we say, the angel of the Lord. Now, sometimes this is debated much. Uh, I'm convinced that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, It definitely could be a real angel there, and but definitely God is speaking. But I'm just going to go and say this. I'm going to go out on a limb if it's okay and say, when you see in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord, challenge it, it's probably the pre-incarnate Christ. Because how does God reveal Himself? Through the person of Christ. So when people see things, He hadn't been born yet. When I say incarnate, that means He was born in the flesh. He hadn't been born yet to Mary, but he, he makes appearances in the Old Testament, and that's the before the incarnation appearance. He pops up every once in a while, and he's called the angel of the Lord. Angel is messenger, and granted, uh, Jesus is a messenger, but you know angels are messengers too, not to take that away from them. Um, but anyway, this is no ordinary messenger. 
And this is no ordinary message. God is relating to human beings. And this is how He does it. To the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Hebrews says God spoke in many different ways through angels and visions and dreams and all sorts of different ways. But ultimately, in these last days, has spoken to us through His Son. We have everything we need in this present time to know about God and the person of Christ who is the Word of God and the written Word of God is how we can know Him. He speaks to us today through that way. The Holy Spirit empowers us to understand that. So this is the ultimate way to speak through His Son who became incarnate. There are other passages involving the angel of the Lord. If you were to go to Genesis 16, verses 7-14, through 14, you have Hagar. And Hagar uh, is the mother of Ishmael. Hagar uh, was the servant of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they tried to help God out. Remember that? And so they had the boy Ishmael. And as a result of that, we have what we know today as the Arabs who have been enemies of Israel and much the rest of the world since then. And uh, so there we go. That was where the angel of the Lord actually spoke to Hagar and gave her promises. Then in Genesis 22, 11-19, you have Abraham and the story of Isaac, his son, who he was ready to sacrifice because God told him to do that. And of course, out of the out of the bush, you know, or out of that was the the, the ram uh, in the thicket. And uh, God was um, speaking there, and it's the angel of the Lord there again as He spoke. And in Judges chapter two, the first four verses. Ordinarily, I would turn to these and just read them. Uh, hopefully, you have these passages in your outline or up there. Yeah. And if you want to turn to those, look at those later, uh, just for the sake of saving time. And Judges 2, 1 through 4, God speaks to Israel. And He speaks through the angel of the Lord. And in, in Genesis 6, not Genesis 6, Judges 6, Judges 6, uh, we have Gideon. And uh, the verse, verses 11 through 23, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he speaks to him audibly. So, anyway, um, that's the idea of the angel of the Lord. Now we move on, and uh, by the way, it says the angel. It's not an angel. So when you see the angel, it happens in all those occasions that we just talked about. The angel of the Lord. The Lord there is the Yahweh God, the covenant God, the one who reveals himself, the self-existent one. That's a good way to explain Yahweh, the self-existent. The, the I Am, and we'll get to that in a short amount of time, probably not today, but later on. He appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. The fire. Now, the fire's burning. It's not consuming. I think this would have gotten the attention of anyone. You're out there where you're not going to be able to see much of anything out in the area where he's at. And if you see something burning... You could probably see it for miles and miles and miles and miles anyway, if there's not some kind of mountain in front of you. And, but there it is, it's close to him, and this amazing thing happened right before his eyes. Moses just see this. We are going to see miracles in the book of Exodus. This is the first one we're going to see. 
And I think this is definitely going to be indelibly written on the mind of Moses. He's not going to forget this appearance by God when this bush and the flaming fire. Would you ever forget that? And this is how God is going to put it there in his mind. Uh, Many supernatural events. This is one that starts it all off. Uh, It's definitely a sign of God's presence when you think of the fire. Stay in Exodus. Look in chapter 13, 21. Don't you like how we're doing this today? You don't even have to turn to another book. You go right into Exodus and we'll just stay there, right? (laughs) Okay, 21. And the Lord, that's Yahweh, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. They could see the fire. If you have a cloud at night and it's dark, you're going to see that cloud? Probably not, right? Unless you have the moon out bright. But the fire there at night, they can see easily and that is representing the presence of God right there with them out there in that desert. Uh, Even in the day, even at night, chapter 19, verse 18. Again, we see something about the fire. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. You bet, because of God's presence was there and he was rumbling and he was having the thunder and the lightning, the smoke coming up out of there and it would make you fearful too. And it should. Uh, chapter 24, 17. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. That's where God affirmed the covenant. And uh, up there on the mountain with God, uh, mountain of God, Moses is there and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seven of the elders of Israel. And there's a consuming uh, fire on the top of that mountain. God's with them. By the sight of the fire, the people would know that God was there. He didn't have to do that, did He? They could have gone just on what Moses said and take it at face value. But He's going to make sure by their own eyes, by their ears, by their senses, they're going to know God was there. They, They haven't heard from God. These people, they haven't heard from God. Their relatives had way back, hundreds of years ago. What kind of bush is it? It's just a regular old bush. Nothing spectacular about it. It's a bush, old bush in the desert, and it kept blazing. It doesn't die. Moses standing there watching. It's burning. And it's burning. You'd, you'd stand there for a little bit. Wouldn't you want to go up a little closer to see what's happening? That's what's on Moses' mind. This is a supernatural event. Uh, this is not just a coincidence, right? And people will say, that's the burning bush. Of course it will. They had bushes that come out here at certain times and it looked red and fiery, you know, and really nice looking bushes. This is out in the desert. And this thing's burning with fire. Uh, see, they want to take away the miracles. That's the liberal thought. So that a burning bush. And we have the burning bushes. How many people have burning bushes out in their garden and, and around their, their house, right? Aren't those great? They just keep getting bigger and bigger. You don't really have to do much to them after you get them planted and stuff. You know, water them and they take off and they just do their thing. Except they're burning in the fall, you know. But they're, they don't look like fire, do they? Okay. Um, so he's standing there watching. 
steps a little closer to it. Walks up there to it. At least close to it. He had a reasonable question. I think every one of us would want to do that. Or would you just walk by and just say, well, that's kind of cool. I think I'll go do my shepherding here, though. Now, I think you're going to find out what this is. And that's exactly what God wanted to do. He wanted Moses to start questioning this. What in the world? (laughs) What is this? This gives God the opportunity to reveal Himself more fully. Do you want a more full revelation of God? Just keep peering into here. You guys been reading the Word this week? Anybody, Anybody been reading the Word this week? Put your hands up. Anybody not been reading the Word this week? Anybody lying? <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to be in this. And I mean every day and constantly. If you're not, woe to you. This is it, folks. He has revealed to us, and if you don't walk up there and check this out, uh, you're going to be left behind. You're going to be wondering what in the world is going on. I didn't mean that by the left behind series. <laughs> you're going to be left behind in what God is revealing. God can take an insignificant bush, He can ignite it, and then turn it into a miracle. An old bush out in the desert turns this thing into a miracle. And that's what He's going to do with Moses. Moses is like an old bush. He's out there 80 years old. I'm sure he looks like a bush out there. He hadn't taken a shower who knows how long. Maybe for weeks. And he's that weak bush I don't know about that. That's not even in Scripture. I just did it. Sorry about that. But, but God is the empowering fire. He can take this man who's weakened down by years and ignite him and put him on fire spiritually. And that's exactly what he's going to do. Physically, we see what's happening, but this is definitely an illustration of what's going to happen to Moses. He's going to have to be on fire to take two million people out of uh, the bondage and the life that they know and take them out into the desert where he's at. (laughs) It's going to take the power of God to do that. Do you think you could do that? (laughs) We couldn't because we'd have to have his power. So he's a weak bush, isn't he? Not trying to read into the text, but I, I think in, in some senses we could say that. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's the deal here in chapter 3. Um, and, and we're getting ready to start verse 4. That's called the call. The call up there? Next page. Okay. And what are we in? Verse, verse 3. Then Moses said, Okay, seen, seen the bush. I will now turn aside... See this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, really examine it, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Who started this whole deal? Who initiates the call? It's always God. You look throughout all of Scripture. Who's initiating the call to man? It's always God. Moses didn't start this. Yeah, he tried to start it. But it wasn't God's calling and it wasn't God's timing. Now we have God is the one who always starts a relationship with His people. I think we, in our Reformed theology can say, oh, this is a great verse here to show that, yeah, let's start looking throughout the Scripture. Who started what? 
Yeah. Old Testament, New Testament. It's always that way. You remember Saul who later became Paul in the book of Acts? Who started that great call? It's God. He irresistibly calls. Do you think Moses really had a chance after that? <laughs> you know, he wanted to say, eh, I can't do this. You know, that's, that's what we'll look at next week. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't even speak, you know, and God's okay, I'll take the brother then. You're going to do this. I've already designed this. You're going to do it. Well, man never goes after God first because Romans 3 says none seek after God. For he cannot seek after God, Romans 8 says. He will not because he cannot. It's going to take the power of God. Not only does he not have the ability to do so, but he also does not have the desire to do so. Moses had no clue of what was going to go on. God seeks after us, so then we can seek after His will. It's so simple. Why is it so misunderstood today in the body of Christ? Why is that? I don't know. They're not reading their Bibles. They're not looking. They don't have this right here. This is so simple. So easy. He's out there minding his own business and God says, Moses, <laughs> you're going to do this. What's his response? I'm not so sure. I read commentaries. I don't know how to, to, to do it. Moses, Moses, God says. And he said, here I am. I think it's a good response. Uh, some, some say that it, maybe it's done in a, in a kind of a flippant way that Moses answers back, um, I don't know what he's supposed to say. He, yeah, here I am. He answers, he responds, but I don't know, it's, it's almost maybe abrupt that some of the commentaries will mention that. Uh, does he know who he's speaking to here? Uh, does he know... Uh, how, much, how, much, how much does he really know about God at this time? I think he knows uh, about God. Um... God has been preparing him, but um, now he sees something different. I, I think God is going to caution him here, though. Uh, Moses is going up there to the bush, and he's getting closer. He wants to really take a, a real look at it. And God is going to tell him, stop. I want you to hold it right there. This is a holy moment. Where you're at, at the time you're at, God just sets the tone. Bingo. I think God in, in, has to definitely correct Moses' manners. He's coming before the king. He's coming before God Almighty. And even though Moses doesn't really know what he's doing, you remember Moses had been in the royal court. Do you think that uh, maybe he knows some rules about people approaching uh, the presence of the majesty? All kings have protocol, don't they? You know, just don't go up there scanning. You know, just, hey, God, what's happening? You know, yeah, here I am. That's why some would, would say that. But um, he didn't know enough to take off his shoes. As that manner would be in the presence of God. I, I think this should get something across to us today. I think we can be so lackadaisical in our approach to a holy God. We do things 
where the holiness of God is around and it doesn't honor His holiness. We get too familiar with God. We can just do whatever we want. How we please. Moses is going to do what he wants in approaching that. That's the best he knows how. Uh, you can't blame him. That's the way he is. He needs to learn. And that's what God is going to do immediately. We need to learn this message too. God is holy. And if He really is around us always, how do we best honor Him? Look in Joshua 5.15. After the Pentateuch, after the time of Moses, you have who? Joshua. And in Joshua 5.15, something very similar happens here about the holiness of God. Look in verse 14. So He said, and this is, uh, again, a, a commander of the army of the Lord. This man saying, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Do you understand? Do we understand the otherness of God? Do we really understand that? Are we reflecting His holiness in our lives? If you're going to take Him seriously, you better know how holy He is. Are you reflecting the very holiness of God. Moses need to learn this lesson. I think if Moses needed to learn that, do we need to know that lesson? Don't approach God and live your life in a flippant way to say, hey, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, boom. And just go out there and do whatever you want. Can you do that? No. Moses must know right away that he's in the presence of of a holy God, and it's so holy this moment is, Moses has no right to be there. And God is saying, you have no right to come any further. You stop, you take off those shoes, the very ground that you're on is holy ground. Now, it could have been anywhere. That particular spot didn't necessarily mean that that was holy. Anywhere you go, where, where God's presence is at, is holy, is it not? Everything is holy around Him. But He was told to stop immediately. Don't come any further. This concept of the holiness of God appears more than 100 times in this book of Exodus. What is God trying to get across to Moses and all of the people? The holiness of God. This is the biggest doctrine, the number one doctrine that we want to have in our own lives and then also to deposit it to others, Christians, and to the lost ones who need to know a holy God. They need to know that His law is holy. They've offended it. And they need to know that He is the only Holy One and they need to bow before Him. Huh. We saw Joshua fell on his face before God. 
we don't see the presence of God, but spiritually we need to be falling right before Him and recognize our awful sinfulness and repent of it. That's what Moses has to get rid of because he's going to be leading some people and and until he does that, God is not going to have him as a ruler. So the concept of this holiness is recurring all throughout the Scripture. One hundred times in the book of Exodus, what is the stress here? Yeah, there's redemption involved here, but who's it coming from? He's so different from his creatures. He's not a good buddy to us. We have a relationship to Him, but we must realize that He is still a God who has otherness that's far beyond us, transcendent, and we have the truth to be known right here. God's absolute otherness can never be overlooked. We have to have that conscious before us. It is God who determines how we are to live in His holy presence and it is not us. That's why you have to be in the book. If you're not in the book, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what you think is best. And you are going to err. And who knows how far you can go. So, I think we need to take heed to this. I think this is very serious. Do you take God seriously? What starts with His holiness. And that's the doctrine that Grace Community Church wants to first live out, believe it, to live it, and then go ahead and give it. That's what, that's what our focus is. So if you didn't know what it is, you do now. We're about the holiness of God, are you? I challenge you. Do you really want to know God's holiness? When He shows His holiness, it'll knock you down on your face and you'll say, Lord, I repent. Do what you want with me. I am nothing. You are everything and I'm turning it totally over. Here, take me. That's what Moses is learning here. He finally realized he was nothing. He was a shepherd. My goodness. What a future, huh? I'd like to be a shepherd the rest of your life. (laughs) Moses knows that. That's where God wants us. He wants us totally broken down and say, okay, now I can use you. Watch this. So, this place is not necessarily a sanctuary. It's an ordinary place. It's an ordinary bush. Its holiness was due to one reason, and it's because there's a holy God that's there. Wherever He is makes the place holy. We must live accordingly in all those places. Wherever you go, who's there? Who's there wherever you go today? God. Wherever you go tomorrow, who's going to be there? Don't play with His holiness. Wherever God is, everywhere He goes, we go. We should be reverent in our approach to God, avoiding anything that would offend the holiness of God. We need to be greatly affected by His presence. Because you know what? We know much more than Moses ever did. Did you know that? He saw the backside of the glory of God, but we've seen it in the person of Christ through the full written Word of God, not only the Pentateuch, but all the prophets and the Gospels, the the history book of Acts, the letters from Paul all the way on up to John's writing in Jude. We have it. 
We have no excuse. We need to live holy. That's what God is putting forth here. That's why we're stressing this so important because we play around with God too much. Now, the announcement of God's name happens. This is God who speaks to him. This is not not some new God. Some local deity out there. (laughs) Some pagan God. He's a God who had entered into a relationship with generations of the same family that Moses came from. He decided to have a relationship with a group of people called Israel. The nation of Israel. And through them, he was going to expand and give the law and give the word of God through the prophets and then have the Messiah come through them. The church was first born through them and they extended out to the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And here we are today. And that's the same God. God remembers His covenant promises. Abraham got it. Isaac got it. Jacob got it. It kept on going through. And the fact that the family was in such a distress The family, the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or the nation of Israel were in great distress. Do you think God had forgotten about them? Would God ever forget? No, He can't. When He makes promises, does He ever break them? Well, if He did, then... Woe to us, because how do we know? He may break His promise on us. Cannot break. He, he is the promise keeper. We're the promise breakers. He's the promise keeper. And He may promise to this family, God is not ashamed to be called our God. Then He said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off them, verse 5, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am. I am. This is the great I am speaking, revealing himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I'm the one who is the self-existent one that made a covenant with them. I gave them promises. It's me. It's not some pagan deity. It's me who you're speaking to, Moses. You want to know? It's me. I am. And look what happened to Moses. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid of God. He was afraid of God. A holy awe and reverence that he had at that time. The Holy God was there. It's God who's speaking. He hadn't forgotten. And he has a true sense of the fear of God. God made him curious. And it turned into a source of fear and terror and reverence. Moses got a crash course on etiquette. (laughs) On holy etiquette in a moment's time. He learned the holiness of God. What did he do? What's his response? He hid his face. Because he knew his position. And he knew God. And boy, if you ever saw that, would that change your life? If you saw the fire of God, and it's no doubt it's God, and now He's speaking, would your life change? It does. It did. It continues to. 
He had a true sense of the fear of God. That's what we need, a true sense of fear of God. This is Coram Deo. You ever heard of Coram Deo? C-O-R-A-M in the Latin, D-E-O. Before the face of God. You know what the Reformers lived by? Luther, Calvin, and on through. Coram Deo. That means before the face of God. What's that mean? It means in everything they did, they had the walls all totally surrounded by them. Anything that they were tempted to do, what did they do? They looked at the holy face of God. (laughs) Will that make you change your lifestyle? Is this honoring God? Is this honoring His holiness? Right? Before the face of God. That means every moment. Coram Dale says a lot, doesn't it? They took God seriously. They had a revelation of God. He had a revelation of God that Moses did. Um, wow, he couldn't handle it. He hit his face. What did um, um, what was the one that we just uh, had read earlier? Um, Joshua, chapter 5, right? We were talking about Joshua. What did he do? So he fell on his face before God, didn't he? That's always the way it happens in the Bible. Whenever people see the revelation of God, whenever He appears to them, face down. There's a CD by Matt Redman called Face Down. In the NIV, you'll see that word a lot. Face Down. Does that say it? Last part, the message. Moses is afraid to look upon God. And then Yahweh responds 7-10. through 10. Quickly, and we'll finish this part up. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And here, are those guys around anymore? <laughs> Is Israel... Yeah. Did these guys get the promise? No. They're gone. Where are those parasites at? The parasites. Hivites. They're not around. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's God's message to him. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to empower you to do this. Here it is. You're going to go. And next week we're going to see how Moses responds. God gives a message. This section is like chapter 2, 24 and 25. And God is not deaf to the cries of His people. He is not a God who might make us wait on Him. Or is He a God that does that? Does He make us wait on Him? There's a song about that, isn't there? Those who wait upon the Lord. Sometimes it may not seem like He's there. For Israel, we're talking a long time. Hundreds of years. He never forgets. Because He cannot. He can't lie. The very character of God is at stake here. He has to come through. He wasn't done with His people. This is redemption. We're taken out of bondage and we're redeemed, just like Israel. God was soon going to do something. God intervenes. 
right in human affairs. God comes down to do it. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. You know, uh, there you have uh, the one crying out saying, God, come down. Come down in the midst of us. Speak to us. Do your work. When they get to Canaan, they had exchanged bondage for liberty. They had exchanged the poverty that they have for plenty. They had exchanged the labor that they had for rest. Does that sound like us Christians? It was a picture of bondage all the way to heaven. And he commissions Moses. Plans have been revealed to Moses. The outcast of Israel. That's in Egypt. It's chosen to bring God's people out of Egypt. Moses is an outcast. The people are outcasts. Moses is outcast. He's cast totally out of Egypt. And he's going to be the leader of the people. God's plan is to bring forth a human mediator to typify Christ. And he's going to be delivered. They needed deliverance. And he needs the strength of the Lord. The very same hand that took a shepherd out of a desert is the same hand that takes the fishermen in Israel from their ships or their boats to be planters of the church. (laughs) Amazing how God works. God knows the distress. He knows He's going to deliver them. God had prepared this man. You know, you can imagine the heavy weight on this old man. I don't know if he stooped over. God had prepared him. I think he's probably in good shape. Prepared him for 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert. God had a plan for Moses. And the second reason is related to the fact that He created humans to have fellowship with Him. He wants us to participate with Him in the world. In a fallen world where people are not redeemed and we get to do the work of God like Moses got the work of God. We've been called for salvation and we've been called to take the good news to the lost people. We can redeem the world. God's people are sent. You see the last couple of sentences? Because they're prepared by God. We're sent. We're all sent. If we are His. He prepares us. God invites His people to share with Him in redeeming people. That's what He's doing with Moses. He has a relationship with Moses. Moses seen His holiness. Now He's ready. And so should we. Now we'll see next week the humanness of Moses come up as you well know the story. And we'll see what God does in bringing this forth. Oh, Moses, you don't want to go? I'm sorry about that. Sorry about to offend you there. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll try somebody. Nope. It's going to be Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We 